You heard the news here first last week that What Makes Women Feel Beautiful, an experience in cultivating peace, confidence, and joy both outside and in, is coming this June. You can get on the waitlist to hear first at hillaryrushford.com slash beautiful waitlist. I'll link that in the episode description. And we are also talking about some incredibly meaningful topics in the weeks to come around how to find more peace and freedom in our bodies, beauty, aging as women, and more. And you will get all of that when you pop your email in at that link. I know there are some new faces and ears around here as of the recent podcast series, and I want to let you know our vibe. My episodes are a little longer, and that's because, as you'll hear today, I don't just give seven tips. We then talk about the objections to those tips, why they might not work, the caveats, the different applications, because you can Google seven tip lists and read them. Do you take action on them? Do they really change your beliefs and behavior? Are you reflecting three months later on how that one article you read has really changed what you're doing in your life today? Almost never. So we have to go deeper. We know a lot. Why aren't we applying it? For all the knowledge we have access to in 2023, more wisdom than ever before in human history, why are we more anxious? burned out, lonely, insecure, less financially stable, the list goes on. And we won't cover all of that in one episode today or even just in this year together in 2023, but here's what I, Hillary, do. As a teacher, as a life coach, as the leader of this community, I have more in-depth conversations about topics that apply to all of us, whether it is us or our best friend or our daughter, or a community, or a group that we care about. We become 10% better. That is our aim here. 10% more confident, empowered, mentally and emotionally healthy, kind to ourselves and others in this season, however we are energetically feeling this season is. I'm sharing seven actions today, and they are in the description of this episode. So if you're listening while driving, walking, putting on your makeup, you don't need to take notes, and you can refer back afterwards to allow at least one of these ideas to become something you think about how you could apply this week. You talk through it with your partner, your colleague, your friend. Your time is precious, and I want to make the most of it. I want it to be meaningful. I want it to mean something in your life. And then each week, I also end with a PS, something I'm loving lately, after the jump, which is more our girlfriend time for chatting about something personal, TV, travel. It's the dessert if you have time for it. Here's what I want you to know if we are newly becoming friends. I am a much better person, a much happier and healthier person, I would say from about 2016 to today. I have changed my life and myself for the better, not changed my life as in I started a business or I lost weight or I manifested my dream apartment, changed my life as in I like being in my skin and in my mind more. I beat myself up less and am therefore less critical of others. I have more peace even in times when I am totally exhausted and burned out. That is the journey we are on. 
So subscribe to the You're Welcome podcast. Come follow along on Instagram at Hillary Rushford, where what I refer to as the VIP crew is hanging out in stories daily. And while we are not perfect, I do believe this is one of the kindest, most supportive, most growth-minded communities on the internet where we care about loving our neighbor like ourselves, which means we have to love ourselves first because a woman who is at peace within herself wants nothing but peace for other people. And we are all so glad if out of the shitstorm that was my book saga, we got to meet you and you are joining us. You're welcome. What was that? You're welcome. With Hillary Rushford. Say it again. You're welcome. In advance. Hello, hello, my friend. Where do we go from here? Where do we go from here? There was such a response to the podcast in the last three weeks, and I don't mean that in sort of like a marketing buzz type way. What I mean is it wasn't about me and it wasn't about publishing. There was some that was about publishing, and I hope that that will be very helpful in the long run for those that are in that niche. But it had such a response that applied far and away outside of that to you and to your life. And while I don't know what my path forward is in publishing, I didn't want to leave all of us there asking, where do we go from here if we have found ourselves in a scenario like this, whether we are trying to heal from it or we are there right now. So I wanted to switch gears and have a conversation that is about all of us, where all of us that resonated with any of the themes in those last three episodes go from here. But I also want to acknowledge that you had a lot of follow-up questions after the series. I got DMs asking, is there a place we can submit questions? So I put a Q&A box up on stories and you guys asked wonderful ones. So I'm going to answer those in a bonus episode that will go live this weekend so we can separate the Hillary or publishing parts from the application for all of us today. But you asked for more details about how the legal part ended, if I've heard from the publisher, if I'll share the names of the people involved so you know not to work with them, how many books are ghostwritten, if I have closure, and more. It led to a lot of great bonus answers and points. So take a listen to put a bow on that topic for yourself. But in this conversation, I want to start with all of us because what came up from those three episodes were how many people have felt silent or silenced, experienced gaslighting or traumatic or traumatic? toxic or traumatic workplaces, um, wanting to express rage and feel like they can't, feeling like they need to heal and aren't sure how. It was applicable really anywhere that there can be a power imbalance in your life that has you feeling you often mistrust your gut or you question your gut or you remain silent where you normally wouldn't because there's all of this outside pressure and fear. Uh, There's so much on the line. Anywhere that you can experience a lack of respect 
which impacts your finances, leads you to feel burnt out, impacts your family because there's endless scope creep with more and more responsibilities that fall on you and no one seems to care. There is no definition of enough, enough hours you've worked, enough perfection that you have provided, enough tasks that you do that you can sign off and rest and have that work-life balance. And really anywhere that you feel you can be cast out. And that all the sacrifices you made pouring into that career or company or community are just gone. I did not know how prevalent these experiences were. I had absolutely no idea. And the first emotion I felt was a relief at feeling less crazy myself, feeling less alone, realizing how much of the toxic gaslighting and silence and all of that even really made me feel like no one's going to understand this. This is so niche about publishing. No one's going to get it. And so there truly was such a sense of healing that you guys did get it, not because it was about publishing, because those emotions related. Second, then I go to heartbreak that I, uh, I can't believe so many of you have felt the way that I feel. It felt so horrible to be living in my life, living in my skin the last two years. The idea that there's this many people walking around with that pain. And then third, I felt a heaviness. Hence the, where do we go from here? Because as I said in a reels that I posted on um, Monday night that I'll link in the description, I feel sad that I don't have a happy ending story for you, Um, that I don't have a, here was the rock bottom, but now it all ended in a bow. Or, you know, specifically for those of you in the publishing industry, I don't know what the path forward is. I don't have that advice yet because I don't really know for myself. And I didn't want to just pass by that heaviness. I felt like we needed to take a, a week to acknowledge it because I don't want to leave you just in that place of despair. I don't want to leave myself in that place of despair. And I think in these topics, it is so easy so often. I know I'm going to get an amen on your side when I say this, if you can relate. It's so easy for people to say things like, oh yeah, you should have just trusted your gut. It's not that I didn't trust my gut. I did trust my gut when I first had those publishing meetings and didn't think this was the publisher that I wanted to go with, but the gut only got so many votes compared to all the other, the, the facts, the advice, the money, the all the different elements. It, it didn't outweigh everything else. And that often is the case. And that doesn't mean that we are weak. That doesn't mean that we look back and beat ourselves up. It means that we look back and say, even with everything I know, How would I reasonably have made another choice unless I truly am getting a rewind button on the exact same scenario, which is just not practical in life. But I I can't really learn anything from saying, yeah, I, I, I did trust my gut, but the gut added up to only 49 points and there was 51 points on the other side of the board. Or the sense of, you know, Yes, just have that confidence. Walk away. You should just, you deserve, do not let yourself be mistreated. Stand up for yourself. Yes, but the reason we don't do that is because there is a lot on the line. And so you may have more to lose than your dignity, than your sanity, 
than your mental health. If you're like, I might lose my entire community, my whole career, all this money. So I wanted to have a really practical conversation of what can we do going forward? What do we do now that we know this is so common? And my approach to this is one that I take in all of my teaching. This is what we do in my healing burnout course, which if burnout is something you struggle with, I will put a link for that in the description. I have some free resources coming on that this summer. This is what we do throughout What Makes Women Feel Beautiful. You can get on the wait list for that. Those folks will get the news first um, at hillaryrushford.com slash beautiful wait list, also in the bio. You will hear first in June that while there isn't a book and there isn't one coming, there is a decade of wisdom and research and we are not waiting for permission or long lead times or approval by gatekeepers. We are ready for this right now. But that approach in all of my teaching is sort of threefold. Number one, how to protect yourself, which is your actions, how to protect your peace, which is your mindset and the pairing of those two. And then very importantly, how to protect your neighbor. Because the the issues I am most passionate about in life, they are harming us individually, but they are also harming us collectively. And when we can focus on the collective harm, it's not just that we change culture. It's that we stop shaming and blaming and beating up ourselves for thinking that we just weren't strong enough, we weren't smart enough, we weren't organized enough, professional enough, old enough, young enough, whatever it is. Instead, we can help one another. It gives us a a, a purpose in the pain. It also gives us energy and motivation and willpower and determination to keep going because we see that we are not just one person fighting all of culture by by ourselves. It's not us against the masses individually. It's a collective over here against another collective over there. And if ours is on the side of empathy, compassion, kindness, respect, then I truly do believe that that wins out in the end. I do believe that good triumphs over I'm going to say evil. And, you know, when I say something like that, I'm not saying that any of the people that we're speaking about in these scenarios are then they in themselves evil. But in those broad strokes, if we're trying to make things better in an environment where it feels like they are getting worse, then we're on the side of progress and humanity. And humanity does move forward. We will be on the right side of history. And then it also gives us even more meaning through whatever we are growing in ourselves to help those with even less power, privilege, and opportunity than us because we are making the way better. So it benefits us first. We put on our own oxygen mask first. And from that place that now we are calmer inside because we are breathing deeply, we now can give some oxygen to everyone else and collectively we all are going to be better. And helping your neighbor in that way is also just the next generation. This may be right within our families for for our daughters when it comes to beauty, for our children overall. You know, I had a family trip that I mentioned uh, in the last episode just a couple weeks after the book died, like literally two weeks, I think. And we were sitting at dinner one night and someone asked my then nine-year-old niece what she thinks she might wanna do as a career when she's older. 
And because I gifted her an incredible book camp for girls that was founded by my friends Georgia and Jade at Brightlings, I will put that link in the description, but I highly recommend it. I know two, two girls in addition to my niece that have gone through and they all loved it. But thanks to that, she, my niece, wrote her own book the summer before. And she answered, therefore, to this question, probably an author like Aunt Hill. You know, she's at that age, she's 10 now, where maybe she'll never ask. You know, we don't live in the same state, so we kind of like FaceTime, but it's not like I'm seeing her regularly. And, you know, kids don't really follow up. Like, hey, by the way, how's that project going? How's, how are things at work? Like, that's not what, you know, nine, 10 year olds are asking about. But I also kind of brace, like I'm, I'm seeing her again, you know, this summer and she was just here recently. And, and I wonder like, Will she ever ask? Um, will she ever say, like, what, like, is, is your book out? Can I read your book, Aunt Hill? Can I have a copy of your book? Like, were, are, were we ever going to be in a bookstore together? And her be like, Aunt Hill, is your book in this store? Like, and I don't, I don't know what, I don't know what I will say that doesn't tell her the truth too young. That you can nearly lose everything going for a dream. That the same people who adored you can abandon you. You can be told you're good at something and then awful by the very same people. Your dreams don't always come true, which might sound wise if, you know, your kid wants to win a gold medal in the Olympics. You're like, but you know what? Part of the journey is just trying and seeing if you can get to the Olympics. Like part of the journey is not just writing a book for a year and then seeing whether or not, you know, it dies at the last minute. And so I don't yet have an answer for her because to get there and tell her something helpful and true because I don't want to give her toxic positivity, but I also don't want to crush her spirit. I have to start with myself. We have to start with ourselves. If there is someone younger in your life that would say, I too want to go into whatever career or community you were in that you experienced this and broke your heart, I want to do what you've done and they don't know how traumatic it was for you, what would you say? And I think we have to start with ourselves. We have to start with being able to answer that to ourselves. What is a safe, true, honest answer that is hopeful enough that I don't just feel like totally discouraged, like I have to give up on my dreams and I will never be safe. We have to start with ourselves because it's the only way we can create change that ultimately is real and sustainable. And when people give you the toxic positivity answer, they have not had to try it for themselves. Because when people have been through something really hard in that area, they know the toxic positivity and the the quick little platitudes. They know they don't hold up, so they don't pass them on. So we shouldn't be passing them on to our children and one another unless we have tested them out ourselves. And through changing ourselves, through healing, through figuring out the answer is also how we create change ourselves. So of those three, number one category is how to protect yourself with your actions. Overall, in these three categories, I have seven ideas for us today. The first one is what is it that you loathe 
in that situation? What is it that you loathe that is what left you feeling, I am not safe, I can't succeed here, I'm not supported? If it was there was disorganization and lack of communication, then asking ourselves all throughout our lives, how can I be more organized and communicative? Now, it could be with them in the current situation, or it could be in other areas of our lives. And we want to remove the pressure of saying, it's, be, it's not because you aren't organized and communicative enough. It's not about saying, if I can just be perfect enough in this area, then I'll be able to fix and solve for all their weaknesses. Instead, it's about saying, am I being the change I want to see in the world? Am I walking the walk that I am asking of others? Because I think that level of integrity then allows us to feel more clear-headed about the situation. If we feel like we are being gaslit, then you can say, where am I in my life unintentionally gaslighting because I'm sending conflicting messages? Like, am I saying to my romantic partner, oh, that was the worst advice. Do you see what happened? Because I listened to you and then the next week, like, why, why are you just sitting there silently? Like, give me advice. Tell me what to do. And they're like, wait, I don't know. Do you want me to give advice or not? Because sometimes I get in trouble for one. Sometimes I get in trouble for the other. So I'm going to take that then and say, okay, I'm not gaslighting to the extent that they are, but is there anywhere that I am because I really don't want to be that person? And the more confident I am that I am not that person, the more I will be able to trust myself and clearly see that their behavior is problematic, not because I'm judging it, but because I have that clean conscience to say, what I'm asking I do feel is reasonable because I am even growing in it in myself. And I give you grace to grow in it, but there should be that grace. In the area of beauty, Do you is the part of it you loathe that you nitpick your outfit and your body? Then say to you, then ask yourself, Do I also nitpick others' outfits and others' bodies? Like, I can't be upset that I think that I'm doing this to myself when it's really this cultural indoctrination if I'm also doing it to others and I'm way less critical about their body. But if I have even a passing thought about theirs, that is problematic. I'm not being the change that I want. So we need to stop having those thoughts. We will talk about this in a uh, more in an upcoming podcast episode and expand on this topic. But the first step to stopping is just noticing. It's just catching yourself and being like, you know what? I'm not as communicative as I could be. I Maybe I am like slightly unintentionally gaslighting the situation. Maybe I am judging other people's beauty and just noticing it so that we can feel that confidence in ourselves. Again, that is not perfection, but In these situations, it's like, I didn't even feel like they were trying to do this. And it allows us to say, I really am doing my best. I really can build up my confidence. Even though I feel like I'm being gaslit and going crazy and being disrespected, I can build up that confidence myself because I am earning my own trust with my behavior. Number two, is there anything else I can try to make this better? Or is it time to accept this is traumatic? I'm not going to be able to to make it not traumatic and either get out or decide that it's worth it to stay. Because sometimes we can strategize more 
to, to try to make the situation better. You get advice from people who have been there. You work with a coach. You have an honest conversation with someone in the you know, scenario. You try to set boundaries. Now, in my case, I tried this. I tried to set boundaries with my agent, which was one of many issues I didn't talk about in the previous episodes. I would say I can't work nights and weekends without burning out. They would then email me on a weekend and text me to let me know that they sent me an email. So I couldn't even just say, I will be responsible for not checking my email because they also are going to text me. And there's no way I'm not going to not check text unless I don't want to speak to anyone else in my life all weekend. And I would get this email and it would be inflammatory and triggering. And I would be supposed to have evening plans with my husband. And suddenly I'm just down the rabbit hole for four hours. I'm angry. I'm frustrated. It totally drains my weekend. And I say to them on Monday, there wasn't anything in there that couldn't have waited. Now, this is where we also realize we have a a values mismatch in our relationship because they were actually on vacation with their family that weekend. And they, we have such different definitions of our boundaries that they are dealing with what I deem an absolutely non-urgent email on their weekend, on their vacation, when they are spending time with their children or, or could be. And I am having to say that's I am going to get burnt out. This isn't going to work for me. This isn't going to work for my marriage. So please just hold it off until Monday. And also don't text me when you've sent an email. Then not a month later, it goes by and I am on a writing retreat trying to make a deadline and I clarify to them and to the publisher, I'm going to go offline for the week because so much of the drama and the energy leak came from getting emails just constantly, any day, anytime I could check my email. It was always going to be dramatic. It was always going to be a distraction and energy leak. And so I said, I need to stay focused. I'm not going to check my email. Please don't tell me if there is an email there. I put an away message on my email. Y'all, I I mean, I cannot make this up. They text me. They text me to let me know that an email is there. The email is incredibly upsetting. It totally steals the energy from the day and a half that I have remaining there. I'm saying to them, I spent time, money, and energy on a plane flight, on a hotel. I am trying to get to the finish line that everyone is benefiting from. Why is my own team tripping me up? And I will say as an aside that I chose to have compassion for them in this moment and gratitude for my privilege. I chose to have compassion that the story I have to tell myself is they are in an industry, a male-dominated hustle culture, no one's allowed time off. I mean, I don't know if this is true, but in my head, I'm saying, you know what? They are in this culture where the women are at home taking care of the kids, and so the men can be working crazy hours, and the men can be away at doing their email while the women are spending the vacation with the kids. And even if there are women now in this industry, the women are still having to act like the men. And I'm choosing to have compassion for them that that is the only option they have seen and have gratitude for my privilege that I came up in this more... I would say from the people I have looked to, this more feminine energy of the entrepreneurial, the creative entrepreneur online world where we we are about work-life balance and we are about the fact that we are doing this work to enjoy our lives. And therefore, I have the ability as the boss of myself, as the owner of a business to say, 
I am going to burn out if I don't work, if I work nights and weekends and actually do something about that. So I give that example to say, I feel that I tried everything I could. I strategize. Is there anything else I could do more? I feel I tried everything I could. So then we get to a point where we just realize this is not about me being able to do it better. I am, I am trying the things. I am trying my best. I'm not going to be able to make this a healthy situation. So at that point, do I stay or do I go? Because I've set boundaries plenty, let's say, and they aren't listening. I can either stay and find the gratitude, the silver lining, find why it is 51% that says stay versus 49% that says go. We, if you look back in the podcast, we did a whole three-part decision-making podcast series on this. So it might be that you stay because there are more pros to staying, even though you're miserable. One of the things I focused on was I am grateful this isn't my whole life. This isn't my whole career. This is one experience. Like there, it was, it was going to end. There was going to be a light at the end of the tunnel. If this was just what I'd signed up for for the next 20 years, then I would have gotten out. But for me, there was a sense of, you know, it's, it's almost coming. And I think in these scenarios, we were just talking about this in the garden party. We had a girl who's trying to, a woman who's trying to decide whether or not to leave her long-term relationship. And I said to her in the community, if it was obvious, you would already have done it. So I just want to honor that any of us who are giving you advice here, none of us are like, girl, just leave him. Obviously, oh my gosh, you were so much better. You've been together for years. This, uh, there, there is obviously complexity and I honor that. I'm not going to make it simple. Like I said at the top, when I didn't follow my gut at signing, it's be, because that it's signing with which publisher, it was 49 to 51. I didn't not trust it, not listen, but there were a lot of factors that still meant I went in that direction. When the stakes are so high, sometimes it has to get so bad before you can logically leave and feel like I'm going to be able to leave without regret, without wondering if I made the right call, feeling like I didn't try hard enough, feeling like I quit early. I think it can feel really easy in culture to make these proclamations about like just getting out of there. And that may in fact be good advice depending on the scenario. But I think a lot of times the reason we don't get out is because there is so much we are losing and walking away from when we do that that balance really has to say there is so much negativity that all the unknowns or that I'm, I, I am no longer at the place where I'm going to feel like I didn't try hard enough. I gave everything and now I'm empty and I have nothing more to give and my only option is to walk away. But there's other times when you're not there yet. There are more pros in staying. And so while you're in it, what is the best mindset you can have about it? Sometimes, like I said, for me, it's just that it's going to be over eventually. Like this is not going to be for forever. But if you have trouble coming up with other pros that are not just everything you're going to lose, that's a bad sign. Personally, I thought I was close enough to the finish line that I could grimace and bear it. But at some point, you have to ask, how much more will I give up? Will I go through? Eventually, 
you know, if the, do the pros outweigh the cons? As you see more losses accruing, there may be less pros. If this is your life, if you've been in this situation for years and you're going to be here for a decade more, if you can, find something better. If this is not just a season that you are muscling your way through. Talk to people to understand what industries are better, what you know, what, what's really happening behind closed doors in relationships? Is this level of conflict normal? Anything like that? How do I know if it's time to leave? Come talk to us in the garden party. These are the kinds of conversations that we're having amongst other thoughtful, growth-minded people that are saying, I, I don't know whether or not to leave this toxic job. I don't know whether to keep pursuing my entrepreneurship business. I'm just not sure it's working. Like, let me talk through these things and balance them out. So that is how to protect yourself in your actions, your own personal actions. What is it you loathe in that situation? How am I living that out? And then within the situation, is there anything else I can try to make this better, do to try to make this better? Or is it time to accept this is traumatic and either get out or decide that it's worth it to stay for now? Then how to protect your peace with your mindset. Idea number three is Pour into your self-aware confidence. Pour into your confidence that you are very self-aware about. The root of the word encourage is to put courage in someone. And I did that for you unknowingly, friend, in that three-part podcast series, that I gave you courage to realize, I think I'm more confident than I was before I listened to Hillary that I was silenced, that I was gaslit, that that was toxic, that that was traumatic, that that was unacceptable, that I was right to feel rage, that I, like, by hearing me share my story, you went, wait a minute, I was shaming myself a little bit, and now I hear her, and I'm sitting up a little straighter. I'm rolling my shoulders back. I am shoulder to shoulder with Hillary. I'm like, she did not deserve that, and I did not deserve that either. I now have more confidence and courage in myself. We get that through talking to our close friends and our partners and asking them to tell us what is true. Again, we do this in the um, the garden party for one another all the time, like saying, here, here is what I see. Here is what I hear. I can hear the wisdom in how you're describing this. I can hear the pain. You're so thoughtful in the way that you're approaching this. Build up your receipts. Are you doing your best? This is about growing the mature relationship with yourself, which we do through the Elegant Excellence Journal, through the Healing Burnout Course, through What Makes Women Feel Beautiful. We're building up this relationship where we trust ourselves. We trust our thoughts about ourselves. And we know when we're doing a crappy job and when we're really doing our best. And even when we're doing a crappy job, we know if it's because we're just not very good at this thing or if it's because we are totally burnt out or absolutely walking on eggshells. And that's why we're not doing a good job, which doesn't have anything to do with our talent. Do you have talent in this area? You have to know that for yourself. What are your receipts? I always talk about the fact that when I was in musical theater and I was auditioning, I had a little day planner at the time, and I would track every season how many auditions I went on, how many times I got kept to the the second round in a dance cut, and then I got kept to sing after the dance audition, and then I got a callback, and then I got a final callback, and I would tally my stats from season to season to make sure I was progressing. I would keep in the back of my audition binder where you 
you take it in to sing or do your monologues or whatever. I kept in the back there a list of compliments that I had been given. Proof from Broadway casting directors and directors and choreographers and audition coaches and, and people that I had worked with telling me that I was talented, that they loved this about me, that they saw this in me. And I would read all of that over me to build up my confidence going in and anchor in that self-awareness. I'm not delusional. I'm not delusional. I have the receipts. I did a Broadway tour. I did the Radio City Rockettes. I'm not just out here going on 500 auditions and never getting kept. That might be crazy. That's not what's happening, even though I may not be, you know, performing in a show right now. Is this a recurring issue for you over the years? What you're going through right now, is this something that for your whole life people have told told you this? You're just always getting told like, oh my gosh, Kristen, you are so disorganized. Like you were just like, you were such a hot mess. No one can rely on you. You're so difficult to communicate with. If that's not what you've been told your whole life, friend, then I think it's something about this situation and not you. So those are the receipts that we're building up. We're thinking back. What about the past churches I was involved with? What about the past careers that I was in, the past companies that I worked for? Was I being made to feel this crazy, this problematic, this, you know, whatever? If not, then I think it's them and not you. Have you grown in this area? Because you may have old shame stories because you weren't great in this area five years ago. 10 years ago, when you were a kid, maybe this was the story in your family that you're, oh, you know, um, you know, Emma's always the dramatic one. So you were told that at 13 over yourself and now you're 53 and in this work scenario and being told you're over dramatic and you're believing it because you got told that at 13. But Actually, have you worked on that? I mean, one where you may be dramatic because you were 13 years old and every 13 year old is dramatic. Um, and maybe the sibling in your family that you were comparing to was not dramatic, maybe because they were younger or older or a different gender or a different personality type. So you've carried that, oh, whenever people say that I'm over dramatic, it's so wounding. But in reality, have you worked on that over the years? And is that not true anymore? And therefore, Have you not been that in this scenario? Are you actually not being overly dramatic? Are you being gaslit and made to walk on eggshells? And that's why this is coming up. So we really have to be self-aware in order to have confidence in ourselves. And this just stands out to me so much because, y'all, I think I'm a really confident person. (laughs) And yet I stayed in this relationship for a year. Like that's how complicated it is because there was so much to lose. And that's how traumatic trauma is. That's how traumatic gaslighting is. That's how corrosive politics is. That it makes you question even the things that you thought you were confident in. And if it can happen to me, I'm realizing it can happen to all of us, not because I'm like the apex of, you know, confidence, but I just realize I am more confident, I think, in my professionalism, in my work success, in my work competence than a, a lot of other people might be. And if, if it could happen to me, then I realize just how easily it could happen to any of us. Number four is heal your burnout. I have really been paying attention for myself to the fact that I am more negative and sensitive about everything when I am burned out. So 
the other night, listen, was this last week? Last week, part three goes live. I offer you an exclusive chapter of what makes women feel beautiful. I'm feeling anxious after this has gone live. I can't sleep. It's four in the morning. I'm over there replying to DMs and and just using the time to chat with y'all. And I see from someone that they couldn't get the the chapter to download. At 4 a.m., I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't believe we did this. I can't believe this happened. Like, what happened? The team didn't do it right. The team, blah, blah, blah. I'm like in my office, I'm filming a loom. I'm sending like, you know, 12 point bullet slacks, whatever. It takes me an hour to realize it's not that they couldn't opt in. It's that once they'd opted in, they didn't have the link. Well, that's a lot easier to fix because now we can just send them the correct link in the morning. It's not that these people tried, they didn't get it. And now we have no way to contact them and be like, whoops, sorry, here it is. If that had happened at 10 a.m. the next morning, I truly believe I would have understood it instantly. I would instantly have read that and gone, okay, so the issues with the download. Okay, so we don't have any issue with the opt-in. It's the download. Okay, so let's get a new link and we will send an email to anyone who opted in before right now, apologizing and giving them the right link. The amount of energy that would have taken me if I was rested versus when I'm anxious and exhausted and suddenly it takes me an an hour of feeling stressed and riled up as opposed to handling something in five minutes. As I said at the top, I will put a link in uh, the description for resources coming this summer on how to heal burnout because that is how I survived what I went through the last two years. Thank goodness I started exploring this in 2015. I originally called the the pursuit elegant excellence, which is a phrase I still love and adore. And um, I had just gotten so much deeper in 2021, six months before all of this happened. Oh, I am just so grateful that I had gifted myself that. And then I lived it out in a boot camp for two years of this. So if this situation is wearing you down, you have to fill yourself back up. And I put healing burnout under our mindset for how we protect our peace, not because healing burnout is all mindset. It is absolutely about taking actions. I think it is more about taking actions than it is about mindset, but it starts with saying, I am going to avoid burnout. I am going to heal my burnout. I am not waiting for this to be over. I'm not waiting for them to let up. It is the ultimate self-care for survival. I am going to flourish and function in my life right now. I'm not going to white knuckle this for another two years and just live through it being exhausted. So it has to be that mindset switch, which then gets you inside the healing burnout teaching, which then gives you the actions to actually change. And then our last three fall under how to protect your neighbor. So number five is share your story. When you are convicted that this is not just you, and I think especially for women, This is when our righteous anger comes out and we get inspired to nurture and protect others because we tend to be more nurturing, mothering, uh, communal, collaborative. So we want to protect others. We aren't just out for the self. And when we think it's just us, we actually get more weak and more insecure. And when we realize it is not just us, we get more confident and more compelled and more clear in the fact that 
something needs to change here. And then it builds up that confidence that it's not just about our lack of talent or our weaknesses. We start to realize this is happening to a lot of smart, talented people. And I am a part of that. I am a part of that badass community that is being mistreated. So now I'm going to feel stronger in that company. I'm going to feel better about myself and I'm going to feel more powerful altogether. Why I created the Garden Party, previously called the Elegant Excellence Community, is because I wanted you to hear from one another. I get to hear from you all the time in my DMs. But so often I hear your experiences and then I, I want to connect you guys. I want, I, I wish that the woman that I was just talking to last week about like going through a divorce with a teen daughter, I wish I remembered her handle because now this woman's going through it. And I feel like you guys could give each other such specific advice because you have details in common that you and I don't share. I don't have an answer for my niece right now, if she asks, because I don't have an answer for myself. I don't know what a path forward to that dream is that feels safe and profitable for me, so I can't confidently say that to a child. I think that's going to come from people sharing the pod series, talking amongst themselves, and bringing that information back. I think it's the, the five of you that are on an author's group chat right now, somebody from that group chat needs to send me an email at books at deanstreetsociety.com and be like, here's a recap of everything that we've shared. It's asking, y'all need to go ask the authors you respect if they've listened to that podcast series and what do they think? Like anyone who is selling book coaching, a book course, selling their book, ask them. Did you hear... Hillary's story, because it sounded like even, quote, successful people can be really unsafe to try to publish a book. So has that been your experience? What would you have told Hillary so that never happened to her and therefore us? Like I'm asking as your audience, your customer, your reader, can you tell me that she just was the 1% that happens to? And even if it wasn't you, what about your friends? Like, is this industry safe if we're readers? Is it safe for authors? Like, what, what can we do? We really want to understand. And then let me know what they say. It may be on their stories or their podcast, and I, I don't see it. I don't know them. You're the one that knows them, and you asked. And then you can be the one that emails me at books at deanstreetsociety.com. I'll put that in the description. But you can email me and be like, hey, I asked this person, and here's what they replied on you know, their stories. Or I asked them on a webinar when they were selling you know, this product, and here's what they, they shared. We want to share our story because we want to protect our neighbor. And that ultimately was what I was fighting for because, again, with no judgment to other authors, but my concern is that we have these non-disparagement agreements that mean no one's able to share their story. And therefore, that best-selling author that you love, if they can realize going into their next book contract that dozens of people are in their DMs wanting to know the truth, and saying, hey, I'm hearing these traumatic stories. Can you tell me that definitely never happened to you before I buy your course in how to write a book or before I work with you as you know, a book coach? Like, Do you have the wisdom that you would have been able to protect Hillary and you know all the details of that? If, if what the position they're being put in because of their contracts is to realize, I can't answer that honestly because of legality. 
Not because I don't want to be authentic with you, but I can't disparage my publisher. And it was a total shit show. But I, I can't say that. To, I can't answer this question on a webinar. I can't, I can't answer this question in a Q&A. So now when they go into their next book contract, is there any chance that they will say, I need, a, I need an amendment here. Because now that I'm a multi-New York Times bestselling author, I've got some clout and I want to be part of this change. I'm not for the silencing. I'm not for the NDAs. We don't do that anymore in the film industry. We don't just pay off everyone that Harvey Weinstein abused and then let Harvey Weinstein go on to abuse other people. We've realized we've got to come forward and say those, those are not acceptable anymore. People have to be allowed to talk about the trauma that happened to them. So why are we putting these non-disparagement clauses in and how, and guys, I don't know the answer of how do we do it in a way? Cause I mean, I'm not saying why are they in there? I get it. You don't want to go into business with someone and have them out there, you know, shit talking you. But on the other hand, there has to be another way to go about it that says, and again, I don't know what the answer here is, here, here is. but obviously like if we were just treating one another with respect, then we should be able to tell the truth even while not writing the book, but afterwards. But the non-disparagement means you can never say it. Now, you would probably be wise not to put your editor on blast three months before your book is due and make them feel like you hate them, right? But once the book is out, could you go and talk about it? I don't think any of these people can, even in hindsight, and say, hey, this is why my last book was with this publisher and I switched you know, imprints. I, I, I struggled. I didn't have a good experience there, but we have to be able to share our story. And yet I know what, why did people, I mean, if y'all, if you've not read, she said, she said, she says, she said, I think, um, incredible book on the Harvey Weinstein, um, saga and, um, really deeply compelling you really understand why people don't share their story. There is so much on the line, but the only way that came to change happened and women were protected is people finally started sharing their stories. I did so much work on myself to heal my anxiety because I wanted to be a less volatile workplace for the men and women on my team. I was such a stressed out, exhausted, anxious entrepreneur as every early entrepreneur is, I believe, and on top of that, struggled with anxiety. And I just didn't want to keep being that environment. We have we have to change ourselves first. And again, kind of back up to those those points at the top, you may not be doing exactly what you are seeing over here, but is there another area that you can take that ownership to grow and heal? To feel like I'm being part of the solution even if I'm not the one gaslighting over here, but I am the one doing something else that isn't quite ideal. I'm going to make it better over here on the right, even if that doesn't change on the left, I know ultimately I'm going in the right direction of making things better for other people. We change ourselves and then we model it for others. Now that we are showing up like this, uh, the people around us at work observe it, the people in our families, the people in our friendships, it's the same with beauty. Be a safe person as you change and grow and heal within yourself. Now you are no longer the friend who talks about how much you need to lose weight and like, oh, I just feel so fat right now. You don't go on and on with that, therefore implying to your friend, maybe you think they're fat. Maybe you think they need to lose weight. Gosh, they haven't really thought about it. Like maybe, you know, I've, we've, I've shared the story before here on the pod of hearing from someone that 
I was like, what do I do? Because I'm the biggest of my three of, there's three of us. I'm the largest of the three women. And the other two are constantly talking about how fat they are and how much they need to lose weight. And I'm larger than them. So obviously they think this of me and I'm working really hard to be at peace with my own body. So those two women, bless them, not judging them, but they were not safe people to be around because they had to change themselves in order to then be able to create that safety for others. You know, be the friend that isn't obsessing over what you're wearing to the wedding or the event. You're like, oh, I have nothing to wear and nothing fits and I look awful and everything. Because now you're amping that up for your other friend who's like, oh gosh, I, I was, wasn't putting that much pressure on it. But now that you're freaking out about what you're wearing, now I don't know if my dress is good enough. So we ultimately, we want to be a safe person even if the scenario is unrelated to what you're trying to work through now, we just see that we can be that in the world and then hold that vision and model it. And maybe a little bit will rub off on this current situation. And then finally, number seven is join a movement. Most of these things we can't legislate against. Gaslighting, there's not a bill in Congress we're going to pass for that. The patriarchy, like that alone, there isn't a march for. But you might talk to HR about mental health training. If you have a boss that is emotionally abusive and you feel like trying to have those conversations are not getting anywhere, maybe there are more people in the company who are affected in other roles and you can go talk to them about mental health training. And then when it works and they agree and they pass it, they implement it, pass it on to others. Uh, my friend Ashley Spivey has done this on women's issues in companies where she's got her followers being like, hey, I went to HR and talked about this and that that applies to mothers, et cetera, and we got our HR to implement it. Sometimes when it didn't even apply, they were like, I'm not a mother myself. I don't have young children anymore, but this is the right thing to do in this workplace. And because they saw somebody else do it and her share it on her stories, they realized, you know what? I could go and do this. And now you feel like you're really part of something because you can see that hundreds of companies have had this change, meaning it's affected thousands or tens of thousands of families, all because one small group of people decided to start passing around a template and going to HR and talking about it. What makes women feel beautiful? is a movement. The garden party, our community, is a movement. We are all working to heal, rewire, and talking with one another about how to do it better. If we can vote on the issue, then we must. We must vote for those who have less rights than ourselves, for the most vulnerable and the things that affect the most people. But most of the scenarios that have arisen out of this conversation around beauty, around burnout, there aren't bills or marches on. It's you healing and then modeling that for those around you. And when there's a hundred of us healing inside a community and we each impact just 10 people in our real lives, your mom, your sister, a couple of your friends, your daughter, your niece, your coworkers, someone at your church, your neighbor, your fellow mom friend, that's a thousand people that we've impacted. If there's a thousand of us to begin with, and we all have 10 people, that's 10,000 people. What if some of those 1,000 can reach more than 10 people because they're giving a speech at their local town hall where 100 people attend, or they work in a company where they interact with way more than 10 people because they're in a position of leadership and they're looked up to like you're the principal of your school, or they start modeling it on social media where you have 500 followers or 5,000 or 50,000, and now we're all modeling this same thing, that is how we create change. 
And that's how we stay inspired that it's making a difference because we know we're not the only ones healing and growing and making our friendships and families and churches and schools and workplaces safer. And that friend is who we are at Dean Street Society. And I am so grateful you are here and you are part of it because that is your character and your heart just by listening to an episode like that, like this. This this is us. This is who we are. And therefore, where we go from here is changing ourselves to change our immediate circle to collectively truly make change in our culture. And as a reminder, these seven ideas are recapped in the description so you can revisit and reflect on them this week to do just that. Join us in growing 10% better. Oh, wait. One more thing. Don't miss this. Before you go, love. P.S. Something I'm loving lately is that it is spring. It is spring in New York City. It is spring everywhere, but I happen to live in New York City and this is my favorite time of the year. And this has been a really hard season for Jeremy and I for a lot of reasons. And I am exhausted. I haven't, I am definitely burned out. I have not had a day off in over five weeks between going to help my brother-in-law, which if we are uh, new friends, Jeremy's youngest brother had a mountain biking accident, fractured his C5 vertebrae at 26 years old, was instantly paralyzed from the neck down and is recovering as a paraplegic. And so we took a week off that was unplanned and two weekends on either end to go and help out the family and just a lot of other things, um, some of which you've caught up on on the podcast the last couple of weeks here. But I am just choosing to be so grateful that it is no longer winter because it was winter for a lot of the hardness of this season. And this weekend, it was sunshine. Okay, actually it was sunshine one of the days and I even chose to be grateful for that because I had a lot of either work or personal things that we needed to catch up on. Saturday, it was all gloomy here and rainy. And so I was like, okay, great. Let's just look look on the bright side of the gray outside that today is a perfect day to stay in and just get stuff done. And then Sunday, was beautiful, glorious sunshine, and we were outdoors all day. We took the ferry, the water taxi, if you are unfamiliar in New York City. I feel like this is an underrated gem. If you are coming to visit New York City this spring, I did not know for a gazillion years of living here that there is this water taxi. We happen to live right by the water taxi, and so now we get to take it all the time. And so we took the water taxi from Brooklyn over to Manhattan, to Wall Street. We rented city bikes, biked around the tip to Battery Park City. I got an electric one, which is amazing because you don't even have to do anything. It's glorious. We went to brunch in Soho, and then we just walked north from there. We walked through Washington Square Park and Union Square and up to Madison Square Park, and we just wandered. And then we sat outside, and we got a coffee or a beer, and then we hopped on the train, went deeper into Brooklyn, sat at a park with uh, our best friends and their baby and just chilled outside for hours. I think we were out of the house for nine hours in the sunshine. And during that time, we were having a lot of hard conversations, but I realized how much nature and movement helps. When you were out in sunshine, on the water, looking at the water, walking, biking, moving on the water, it really helps 
to be, you know, if you got to have a hard conversation with a friend, see if you can do it when you're on a hike. If you need to have a hard conversation on the phone, see if you can do it while you are on a walk. If there is something big you want to process with your partner, see if you can do it outside now that it is beautiful. And if you do come visit New York City, um, come this spring, summer, fall, she's magical. Not my favorite in the winter, but um, get the ferry. Just save this episode and come back. Just a little note. The places to get the water ferry are Wall Street, Dumbo, or North Williamsburg. That's where to get it and or to take it to. There's some random ferry stops that you're going to be like, what is here? I don't know why I just got off here. Those three, it's like $2.50 to hop on this boat. You get to see Manhattan from the water. And in all three of those places, there are gorgeous waterfront areas to see. Again, Battery Park City, Dumbo, North Williamsburg. Just walk around, rent a city bike. Also, something I did not know for a million years of living here. The Empire State Building sparkles. Google and make sure I'm I'm right on my timing on this. I believe it sparkles the first five minutes of the hour from sunset on. I'm sure that time changes throughout the year. And I'm not sure how late it goes until. Maybe 10 o'clock. I don't know if it goes to 11 o'clock. This is one of our favorite things to do in... Uh, Paris is to make sure you are there for the top five minutes of the hour when the Eiffel Tower sparkles. Now, the Eiffel Tower is bigger. You can get closer to it, but I uh, I get the feels every time. And if if you don't know where we live, I don't, I don't know how my husband and I, two people who used to wait tables, ended up stumbling on this magical apartment. It is my dream home, and we just found it at the exact perfect time. Um, as as renters right before the pandemic. So we have, you can see it on my Instagram stories, um, we have a view of the Manhattan skyline on the river. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm literally getting choked up. It's so beautiful every single day. I'm like, it's so beautiful. I can't believe I get to live here. So every single night I look at the Empire State Building while she sparkles and I'm like, so few people actually even know this is here. I've been a New Yorker for almost 20 years, and I didn't know until I moved into this apartment that this is here. So North Williamsburg, that ferry stop, that is where you can see it. So go to dinner in Williamsburg and then walk down and be there at, you know, 9 to 9.05 or whatever time it is and see the sparkle. And it's not just that it's a magical view, but in my opinion, it's an un, it's an unknown gem that not all the tourists are doing. There is not there's there's not a flock of people at night that are watching that. It there's nobody out there. It is beautiful. It is romantic. It is moving. Oh my gosh. Guys, I just really love New York City as you can tell. So, I hope that you come visit and really until then, I hope that there is something small yet big that is making your life easier this week. And maybe it is sunshine. Maybe it is something in your neighborhood that costs $2.50 to hop on a train or a ferry, but those little things add up and they make our lives sweeter. I will have as a reminder that bonus episode, unofficial part four of the book story, answering your follow-up questions going live this weekend. And then I will see you back here next Your Welcome Wednesday with grace and gumption. You're welcome in advance. Till next Wednesday.